0: Hello and welcome to Cleantech Talks, Alacrity Canada's podcast series focusing on the clean tech sector. Today we're talking to four of our cleantech program advisors about the clean technology sector in Canada and beyond. Richard Egley is Managing Director of Alacrity Canada. He brings with him his keen eye for business opportunities, be they real estate, finance, or venture capital related. As a young and inspiring leader, he guides the entire Alacrity Canada organization. We're also joined by Barack Evren, our Cleantech Program Director. Barack directs the Cleantech program with a career full of leadership and management experience, having worked with the biggest players in the Turkish telecommunications industry, and he's also currently teaching international business courses at Royal Roads University. We have with us Cees Primo as well. CIS's knowledge spans a career full of experience in strategic information technology and financial and management roles, sharing his experience as an advisor for the Cleantech program and its companies. Peter Vandergracht is one of our senior advisors too. He's spent a lot of time working with our clean tech portfolio and shares his decades of business experience and acumen having worked in industries ranging from natural resource management and technology to telecommunications and clean tech. Our host for this episode is Sophie Campbell, content specialist at Alacrity Canada.
1: Thank you Peter Braxis and Rich for being here today. We like to start these off with a little icebreaker to get your creative juices flowing. Um, so, today, our topic for this podcast episode is what people need to know about clean tech. Because, I mean, clean tech is a crucial piece of the puzzle that uh, humanity is currently facing, trying to deal with climate change and environmental degradation. And that can sometimes be a pretty discouraging topic to be working with or to be looking at day in and day out, I would like to know from each of you um, what something is in your life right now, big or small, that's making you feel hopeful and excited about the future. Um, So I can go first while I give you a second to think. Mine would be quite micro scale, but I've recently started playing on a soccer team again, and it's been a long time since I've played soccer. And it's just really nice to be playing again and it makes me feel quite young and i'm playing with some old friends of mine who i played with growing up so that's what i'm feeling excited about and let's say barack you go first
2: to be with friends you know that's what i'm looking forward. I, I need more face-to-face interaction because mm-hmm. i miss the good old days of sitting all together discussing about things being in the classroom being with my students And you know, Mm -hmm. having long and lovely discussions about the world issues, about how we can make the world a better place for all of us.
1: Yeah. Okay, who wants to go next?
3: Okay, I'm gonna be a little sappy. You're talking about what we see as their hope for the future. Mm -hmm. Okay, I got eight grandkids from 14 to almost three, and just seeing how they're being raised differently than we were with recycling and reusing and reducing packaging and it's just sort of part of their life Um, Mm. and I guess the kids are the future so seeing that they are embracing this stuff without even hardly thinking about it and being trained from young kids that I'm assuming a lot of kids are in the same boat and I think that bodes well for a cleaner future.
1: For sure. Rich
3: yeah I had something along the similar vein. Um, we have a
4: a son who's just under two years old and and seeing him explore and see things for the first time, I think are gives me hope in in our future because the level of you know curiosity and how inquisitive he is about all his surroundings makes me a faith that we will overcome some of the issues and and what's going on right now with our with our world. So that's, mm-hmm. that's where I see a lot of hope. And then we have another baby due in, in just less than two months, not to go too far <laughs> with the personal side. But, um, and I know that, like, I, I think as human beings, we're capable of extraordinary things. And that's what it's going to take to solve our current situation.
1: Mm-hmm, for sure. And Peter?
4: Yeah, so I'll take it a few years
5: later. Uh, I guess what gets me excited is all these young entrepreneurs with their great ideas that we get to work with at Alacrity in the Cleantech program. It just, mm-hmm. like Rich and Cease were saying, it gives you a lot of comfort and hope for the future that uh, we're going to overcome these problems. So uh, I'm always a big supporter and rooter for entrepreneurs. I think they, uh, they help make the world a better place.
1: Yeah, and we've certainly heard in these podcasts so far I mean, a few different people say lots of the technologies that we need to implement in order to address climate change already exists. It's about adoption and fine tuning and things like that. I think that's also kind of a comforting message that we do have the tools now. So I'd be curious to know what you think we know about clean tech as an industry. Rich, let's start with you.
4: Sure. So I think the one thing that we can all agree on now is that it's essential to our plan. You know? we've kind of gotten past the point where we had to prove that climate change is real. If we look around the world just the last year of examples of extreme weather events and and different, you know, anomalies, if that's any indicator, we know there's a problem we have to fix. And I think that the the technology side of clean tech is just a a massive opportunity. You know, as humans we we're pretty good at innovating more when we have to, and I think we're at that stage where we have to. So Working in clean tech gives us the ability to not only, you know, help do something that's important for our entire planet, but also there's a ton of economic development opportunity and business opportunity out there that this, this presents. I think those are things that we know now and that we know we have to get working on.
1: Yeah. And starting to see attention from financial markets, turning towards clean tech, maybe cease. Do you have any thoughts on that? And then Peter.
3: Yeah, sure. Um, I guess for me, what do I know about clean tech? Probably one of the biggest things, and I was doing a little looking before this because everybody seems to have their definition of clean tech. And it kind of started back in the early, mid 2000s. And everybody kind of looked at it as, uh, you know, so I guess started by mostly the investors, but was kind of green tech more than clean tech. So it was wind, solar, EVs, whatever. Mm-hmm. And I think it's evolved now. And this is from the clean tech org very quickly is the segments now have expanded and people's understanding of clean techs is sort of the energy generation, storage, infrastructure, efficiency, transportation, water, wastewater, air and environment, materials, mm-hmm. manufacturing, agriculture, recycling and waste. So I, I think for me, what I've come to see, especially working in this program, is just how much broader clean tech has become and, and how much more it can be applied to so many more places in, in our uh, cultures and societies
1: hmm I see Barack nodding on that. Oh, yeah.
2: Um, one, I, I, I fully agree with the point of C's. You know, all these entrepreneurs are coming up with great ideas, and sometimes we are not really very much aware of these things that are happening at the back end, but they have quite a big impact in our lives. You know, treating the water, making it more cleaner, and, and taking the plastic out of the, uh, out of the nature and environment. So make it more usable. Even I was thinking about this, when we created the, the chance of recycling more plastic in, in communities, probably we are creating more jobs, more economic wealth. But at the same time, it is just a great impact so that well, we can take the plastic out of the environment. Mm-hmm. So all these great things, we were not very much aware, but slowly it is coming into the you know, understanding of the people, how we can create value, commercial value and at the end of the day still protect the environment at the same time. So going back to the yeah. Peter's original comment from the first question, you see all these great entrepreneurs with great ideas. Sometimes even they are not very much aware how much value they create because they just straight go into a single technology and they think that it's just this single thing that they're changing. But they have quite a big impact uh, on the environment. So there are so many stories to be told, and it's exciting. The only mm-hmm. thing that, you know, that is quite different from the early 2000 of the web boom or the dot-com boom this is high-tech more research and development a little bit more patience but at the end of the day we have the solutions the only thing that we need is the governments need more initiative to take all these actions and and make things happen but we yeah. have great entrepreneurs all around
1: yeah we did just speak with two of the leaders of our portfolio companies for a different podcast and they were talking about the construction industry and how important it is to have government programs and government support to help them reach uh, the number of customers that they need. And basically, that their biggest challenge is education and educating clients so that they understand the benefits of the technologies and, and so they understand the ultimate benefit to adopting something like more efficient heating systems for their home or whatever it is. So Peter, if you want to give an answer to this, and then I'll jump to the next question as well, which is what has changed in clean tech since you've started working with the discipline? So if you want to touch on both of those questions, the first one being what you feel we know about clean tech, and then also how that industry has changed since um, first entered into it.
5: Sure. So maybe onto the first question, what do we know? Very interesting, Barack's comments about the, the message from our CEOs about educating customers. Mm-hmm. I would flip that around. I think that one of the things that I've learned in clean tech Africa, coming from the technology space is the collision between what I would call the technology mantra, which is move fast and break things, and our traditional industries, which we're, we're looking to add value to. And some of them literally keep the lights on. So that is not somewhere where a young entrepreneur saying let's move fast and break thing comes up against a person working at BC Hydro or a power utility for the last 30 years will run the other direction. So I really think we need to educate our technology communities on having an understanding of the effects that they of the customers that they are interacting with. These are very risk adverse customers right. coming Coming up against disruptive technology, so a, a really, I think, an important learning for for our community.
1: Yeah, that's a really interesting point. And then, what what would you say has changed in clean tech since since you started working with the discipline? Well,
5: I I think you know you look at all the stakeholders. I think in the governments, the entrepreneurs, the customers, mm-hmm. the investors. I think lots has changed. I mean, like C said, the breadth of activities are now um, encompassed by clean tech. I think the good news is that governments are becoming aware of some of the special challenges in clean tech. These are mm-hmm. long technology development cycles, they're long sales cycles, they're complex sales, they systems integration. It, it's, a, it's a challenging business to sort of get going and that's you know, we see that as being the barrier to adoption. So I think governments are getting behind it. Uh, I wish the investors were more understanding. I was speaking to an investor the other day on a ocean tech company. He said, "Well, Peter, to me they've got long development cycles, long sales cycles, and lumpy revenue. I want to run in the other direction." Mm-hmm. So I'm I'm looking forward to our investors sort of embracing some of the uh, uh, some of the unique characteristics of uh, of clean tech. And then, like I said, I'm I am hoping that customers customers are facing disruption. I mean, you look at the auto industry, you look at Many industries around are, are sensing that disruption. So my hope is that customers become aware of that and say, "Look, if somebody's going to eat my lunch, I'd rather it be myself and uh, and sort of adopt sooner."
1: Mm-hmm. And and what do you think? Just connected to that point you just made, what do you think is important for encouraging investors to not run in the other direction? Like what sorts of mechanisms need to come into play?
5: I think it's a little bit building on what Brock said. It's some de-risking mechanisms. So for example, at Alacrity, we're promoting a couple of things. One is pilot funding so that Mm -hmm. investors see a project and technology is actually adopted and successful in the field. And that gives them comfort that there's going to be more of those opportunities. And therefore, the risk is sort of taken out of the business. Uh, And the other one is helping our companies scale up, particularly the pre-sales application engineering, because there's a lot of customization that's needed when you approach a customer, you've got to fit into their system. Uh, Mm -hmm. Very few cleantech solutions are really standalone and don't need anybody else. Uh, So these are complex skills. And we're also promoting the idea of making funding available to to sort of broaden the funnel so that our our clients can get more customers.
1: Cease, what would you say has changed about cleantech? since the early arts
3: i got into it i guess i go back before these programs which you've been at for quite a few years back to um probably 10 12 years ago into lithium battery um, space mm-hmm. some of the mm-hmm. things that have changed for example we were making sales you know of two and a half megawatt battery systems and selling them and getting you know 1100 1200 a kilowatt hour well, what's changed and why it's I think taken off so much more in with trucks, cars, everything is that's now down to a couple hundred dollars. So mm-hmm. a lot of, a lot of costs, I think over the years have come down as more people get into it and economies of scale, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, as I said earlier, uh, I think we're looking at more opportunities in industries that people hadn't really thought of that could be improved with a clean tech type solution. Um, Mm -hmm. So I think we're seeing more people apply clean tech solutions to more and more areas and, and coming up with amazing solutions.
1: Yeah. So maybe the clean tech sort of mentality permeating more industries and more parts of business.
3: And and again, as, as each segment of that industry gets grows, like I said, with the lithium space, again, the economies of scale are bringing costs Mm -hmm. down and I think making clean tech more competitive with old tech, call it that yeah. way.
1: Yeah, um, Rich and Barack.
3: Sure. When I think about what
4: has changed, I think back to you know what Barack had mentioned around the early 2000s and the tech boom. I think a lot of clean tech or green tech investors got in to mostly like renewable energy projects and early battery storage, and there was a lot of pain experienced mm-hmm. from that. There's a lot of you know kind mm-hmm. of unmatched. Uh, expectations that were out there. So there was scar tissue in the investment community. So when I started working more seriously in clean tech, probably 2016, 2017, when we started running programs focused on specifically clean tech, none of the investors, even then still really wanted to talk about it. So Mm. I think the fact that now it's, you know, front page news, people are talking about it. I think it still is taking brave and courageous investors to Mm -hmm. take risks and we applaud them for that. Um, but I think that if we look back on this time, we'll see that there were some amazing returns achieved because of that risk taking, because there's, mm-hmm. there's a lot of opportunity, uh, and there's so much innovation that that we still need in this industry. So I think that's the, the biggest thing that's changed for me. It's sort of like the investors were there, then they were gone. Now, maybe they're coming back. We just hope that, <laughs> that continues. That has to continue for us to make some change here.
1: Yeah. And I mean, like Brock said at the beginning of this podcast, as people globally have started to really reckon with climate change and, and as it's become a very popular topic of discussion, then that involves government funding and government programs. And then that also helps probably to de risk some of those ventures.
4: 100%. And,
2: and you know what? What what I find interesting is maybe 10, 15 years ago, uh, everybody was seeing. Uh, you know this type of investment is a kind of a burden from the government side mm. or just not putting a lot of emphasis but what's happening today is you know looking at the the overall industry the type of uh, employment needed is is high quality people so it really helps with and, and complies with a lot of government's employment policies if you want to really you know get and uh, attract more talent probably this industry needs more talent And the other thing is the economic value that we can create can really help the local economies. Like like I said at the start, this plastic fund that we managed uh, at the start of this year was a really good example of that. You know, how we can really help the communities to create a commercial value within a a small piece of of a region so that you can... One, create commercial value, two, create more jobs, and three, you know, take the plastic outside of your environment. And as Richard and and C said, now these are becoming more competitive from a commercial perspective. The investment is too attractive. So what is happening today is I think all these industries related to clean tech and sustainability is giving one to governments and also the private investors a good chance to employ a higher quality of talent to create a lot of commercial value in, in businesses. And we know that anyone who's gonna be more competitive, any country or any uh, company who's gonna be more competitive in the clean tech. Will have the lead in technology. But, you know, I'm referring back to the same thing. This is what happened with the telecom boom back in the 90s when telecom companies were really fighting with each other for better technologies. And then the they they, uh, telecom businesses became mainstream businesses. But today, anything that you know about clean tech sustainable circular economy is giving you the, the competitive edge. And any company who wants to be at the edge of the technology needs to uh, start understanding, adapting, and also learning and investing into these areas. So I, I think the governments will soon realize it and will start putting more and more money and in, in investment and also resources into this. And this is what I see for the next uh, five to 10 years within this industry.
1: Then I'll, I'll take this next question actually back to you, Barack. but what have you witnessed as being common tropes or common misunderstandings relating to the clean tech
2: industry? I think this is a general issue. It is not related to clean tech, but we are living in the age of the fake news. So the, the resources that we use for media in the type of news or the content that we consume can be misleading. And what I'm seeing in the general population is people think that all these issues related to climate change, sustainability or, or environment is just something That doesn't really affect their lives. But at the end of the day, when the price of the food goes up, it is because of the drought or the floodings or the wildfires. So yes, it has an impact on your life. When you need to pay more for a car or for your fuel, you know that it's because of the taxes. So anything that is happening around you, you cannot say, oh, it's not affecting me. It's affecting Mm -hmm. to a remote island in the Pacific No, you know, tomorrow is going to come to you. And when you want to eat your favorite fruit, probably you're not going to find it. So what's happening today is all this misleading ideas and misinformation and the way that the governments and sometimes the politicians are looking at the environmental issues is creating a lot of problems. But at the end of today, this is a problem of the layman on the street. Everybody Mm. will... Have to go through all these issues, and I think it's quite important what Richard and C's were saying uh, when they talk about the new generations to come. Their education and the way that they have been, you know, brought up uh, will make a huge difference in the future of of the planet.
1: Peter, what would you have you encountered any common misconceptions relating to clean tech? Yeah,
5: I thought I would. Um kind of go back to one of Richard's comments and, and from this perspective of investors. So if you time work back to the year 2000 and we were in the middle of what was called the tech wreck, where basically the NASDAQ lost 60 to 80% of its value. And so a lot of investors who are invested in the tech world had some really unhappy returns and they all flocked to clean tech because they felt, or back in the day it was called green tech. They felt that, um, the problem with the tech wreck is nobody was buying the stuff. It's not that it didn't work, but nobody wanted to buy it. Whereas they felt with uh, with clean tech that at least you didn't have to worry about sales because you were producing something like, like say, a commodity. You had a uh, wind farm and you were going to produce electricity. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so they all piled into that. And as Rich said, they, the misunderstanding was they traded, a, let's call it a sales risk for an execution risk. And these projects and these technologies turned out to be way more complicated to actually mm-hmm. execute than they thought. And so that's, I guess, a misunderstanding that I see is that, you know, clean tech is easy. I've got this little gizmo uh, that's gonna make the world better. How hard can it be? Well, it turns out that integration and adoption is very difficult. Mm-hmm. Cease?
3: I guess maybe back to a little bit of what Brack is saying is, I think some of it is, is, well, it can be social media or the fact that it's not impacting you enough yourself but it's really, to me, two words come to mind. Apathy, where it just not impacting me or whatever. Mm-hmm. Or procrastination is, okay, mm-hmm. well, we need to do this, but let's set a target of 2050 instead mm-hmm. of 2025 or 2030. So I think some of those things are not just a misunderstanding, but also a threat to the clean tech as well.
1: Yeah. And, and Rich?
3: I would say a common misunderstanding
4: that that I see is that people look at clean tech as possibly like a bit of a fluffy kind of sector, like a feel good kind of thing to do. That's like Mm -hmm. off the side of a desk or that that governments do, or companies do just to increase their profile, um, you know, more like that, that greenwashing and and marketing. But I think the misconception is that clean tech is actually very measurable. Like as Peter mentioned, you measured how much power was coming out of those wind farms, and then the costs, and you're like, "Oh, this didn't work." In anything that we work on in clean tech, you know, things that decrease the amount of natural resources or carbon emitted, there's mm-hmm. practical ways to measure it, so you can't fake it in clean tech. And I think that that's something that people still need to to get over a little bit. I also think that's why it's important that companies have ways to demonstrate and pilot their technology. And, and there's funding and programs in place to do that because if you don't, if you don't do it in real life, in a real environment, it's, you know, it's all just off the back of a napkin or it's on a spreadsheet, but it's not the real world. So it's, mm-hmm. I think that you just, you need to practically see things working. Yeah. And we find that with some of our international work, like when we're working in Mexico or in India, the bigger companies that are our customers, they need to see it working on the ground in, in the location. They can't just go off of what happened to work in another area of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's something that we, we still need to get through.
1: And I think that touches on something that has at least to date been a really perennial challenge with quantifying emissions and also quantifying uh, reduction in emissions, because generally, globally, we really do lack any sort of centralized and uniform means or structure by which to evaluate a company's emissions on a consistent basis and and establish how that compares with other companies operating in similar industries or different industries.
4: For sure. And, and I think that the increased focus on, you know, ESG scorecards is helping to to bring that to the forefront. But we've yeah. got a, a long way to go.
1: So I'll go with Peter here. I'd be curious to know what your what you see as the biggest threat to clean tech.
5: Um, I think it's it's execution risk. It's back to that customer unhappiness. These are conservative customers. So it's hard enough to get them to take a risk on something new. But if you stumble, mm-hmm. they're not coming back. So uh, that that's what I would see as the biggest risk. And it's not so much that our tech community doesn't build good products. It's usually a lack of understanding of the system that goes around the product. And mm-hmm. gee, I never knew that, you know, that my my solution is going to have this impact on the rest of your business and that was a negative impact that I didn't expect. So I think that's the risk. is not so much the technology itself but how it impacts the rest of the system.
1: Okay. Barak, what about you?
5: Uh, I will add just one small thing on what
2: Peter said. Uh, One of our founders uh, from Penny Energy, uh, Davish, was saying a very nice word. He was saying uh, disrupting industry without disrupting infrastructure. So This is quite important from an execution point of view. When the new technology can really disrupt the results and can uh, get better results, by not disrupting the systems that exist and these big infrastructures can still operate, then the execution is really successful and it can bring uh, results. I think this is the greatest difficulty when you're an innovator, you want to change the whole world, but you just want to uh, make sure that while you're changing the world, you don't stop things from happening. Because this is not like uh, resetting your computer, you cannot reset a water treatment system. You cannot reset an energy infrastructure. You have mm-hmm. to make this thing going on, but at the same time, make it more effective, make it more uh, energy efficient, or whatever is required. Uh, so, it, this execution, uh, you know, uh, risks are big, but if they are done in the proper way, probably they bring a lot of good
4: value. Mm-hmm.
1: Rich, what would what would you see as the biggest threat to clean tech?
4: I think the biggest threat is the, the status quo, like maintaining the status quo. Right. Uh, I think that, you know, if people aren't forced to make changes, sometimes they don't. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm an optimist, so I have faith that we will mm-hmm. make changes across the board. But if if there's continued, like, risk aversion, and I would say lack of funding, um, both, you right. know, investor level and government level in, into industries like clean tech, I think that's the that's the biggest threat to, to the industry growing in a meaningful way. A lot of studies are saying that we already are a little too late and that the world is going has already changed and will continue to change. So I think we just have to act now and, and move quickly.
1: And, and we've had this conversation before too, Rich, about um, how governments can help mitigate risk for investors. How do you see that playing out in the next five or 10 years in terms of how the status quo can be challenged by support from governments.
4: Yeah, and I don't want to sound like a broken record, but the, <laughs> the issue of pilot funding and demonstration funding is massive, uh, is massive to growing companies. And I would also say early stage funding for Canadian clean tech companies is a is a major risk. And I think that's something that the government can take Quick steps. I think they are like, I think you, we've seen new funds through BDC and there's new, mm-hmm. you know, fund to fund programs out there to, to stimulate some first time fund managers. But I think we need much more of that because if we don't start with the early stage companies, that group never graduates to the growth and expansion and other uh, mm-hmm. further stages. So those are two ways I think that directly we could be helping more companies across Canada is the pilot funding and, and just early stage equity funding.
1: Right. Okay, so we'll go into the last question and start to wrap things up. I'm going to combine these last two questions. The first question was, "What do you think is most important for a clean tech company to get right in order to succeed?" And then the second question was supposed to be, uh, "What's your greatest negative wisdom about the Canadian clean tech market?" But I'd like to just combine those. And so maybe we'll start with Cease. What do you think is most important for clean tech companies to get right? Uh, to succeed,
3: get right to succeed. That's a good one. <laughs> All the things everybody's <laughs> been saying, but yeah. I, I think part of it too, and what I've seen is really understanding their product, their market. And a lot of times, you know, we, we run into this where somebody develops technology, they get excited about their technology. I think really to succeed, you need to spend more time up front. If you don't have the expertise, get some advisors, but really understanding who your early adopters are, how you're going to get your product to market to prove and showcase, as Rich said, we need funding for pilots or whatever. But also ways we did at the lithium battery company is in order to get it out there and showcase it, we built a scaled down model that we could take around and show to people. Um, So it's really, I think, important of of not just focusing and getting so excited about your technology, but right from the get-go, Figuring out how you're going to get it to market, who's the early adopters, rather than here's my great technology, it's going to clean wastewater, everybody should buy it, mm-hmm. but it's like five million dollars to do one, is is again as as just as important as is to build your technology is to build your understanding of what your technology can do, how it'll impact, um, and at some point it's got to have a return, or as you said, you won't get the money to actually do it.
1: Mm-hmm. And maybe getting a bit creative about how to showcase your technology, like you just said with the lithium batteries. Yeah. Uh, yeah, Peter, some final thoughts?
5: Sure. Um, a bit of like a broken record from from everything that we've <laughs> talked about, but it's really this issue of knowing your customer. I think uh, and knowing the the complexity that they're dealing with. I mean, it's too right? often we look at our solution in isolation, and it does its job wonderfully. But the problem is that the job at the customer site is more complicated and it has uh, inputs and outputs that we need to really be aware of. So really, like C says, really spend the time up front, understanding in detail the needs of your early customer adopters and making sure that you've got the whole solution. I don't know if some of us are old enough to remember crossing the chasm, but this was the issue of, of new technology and Uh, You can find early adopters, sometimes they're very rare, where they're prepared to basically change things and augment your solution because they think it is so critical, but the vast majority of customers need to have an easy path of adoption. And so you've really got to surround your product with everything else that the customer is gonna need to be successful. That'd be my uh, recommendation.
3: And Peter, for us older people, Crossing the Chasm, Jeffrey Moore, and it's still a good read for a starting up entrepreneur.
1: Okay. Rich?
4: Sure. I would say that marketing and sales, so actually commercialization, marketing, and sales are the biggest issue and the things that we need to get right more often in order to succeed. I think we've all seen some of the websites out there, and this is even within our portfolio, you know, this is 25 or 30 odd companies. And it's mm-hmm. not all of them, but like many of the, the websites and the marketing materials just aren't up to the standard that you need for the level of professionalism that you need to be able to sell your products. Right. And I think part of that comes from these are really technology heavy, heavy R&D, heavy science companies. So it's not like in initial skill set that you're working with, but you need to go and find that help and bring in those skills Uh, Like if you're looking at a company that is in sales mode, right. They've, they've already figured out some of the technology and they're out working with customers. You know, if they're not 40 or 50% of their organization isn't focused on the sales side, you know, everything Mm -hmm. from marketing, sales, uh, customer success, implementation, those kinds of things. And everything is or if 90% of your team is still working on the R and D side you can assume that you're, you're not going to be growing your revenue in a meaningful way. And I just feel like so many companies we, we come across and we talk to, and this isn't just in clean tech, this is across mm-hmm. Canada and technology. Um, they have amazing technology, but it just, it doesn't end up going anywhere if their revenue can't keep up, mm-hmm. right? If they aren't able to build meaningful revenue, because at the end of the day, that's often the, the measure of a highly successful company. So to me, like that marketing and sales piece, just, I can't say it enough. It's how important that is to focus on.
1: And, and in a company that's attractive to investment as well as, as you say.
4: Yeah. There's no investors that don't love, you know, revenue growth. (laughs) That's for sure.
1: Yeah. But that's a nice way to put it in percentages, like just to conceptualize exactly how companies should be thinking about what share of their efforts they're putting where. Exactly. Barack, I'll give you the last word since you're our program director. What is what do companies need to get right to succeed?
2: This last question is triggering my academic side of the things. <laughs> so um, what I'm saying uh, in with the cleaning clean tech companies and cleaning companies in general is one, as Rich said, you can build something perfect, and this can be the best technology in the world, but unless you don't have the capacity to tell it to explain it and to communicate it into the bigger market then it doesn't matter how good you are
5: Mm -hmm.
2: so this sales the, the developing the sales cycle developing the right communication cycle and making it visible for the other people to understand is a big part of the whole picture and the other thing is in most of the cases what we see is canadian entrepreneurs are not very much willing to go outside of north america and really, you know, put their hands in the dirt and try to sort out the problems that is happening uh, around the world, in the other countries, in other places, in other geographies. And also when you think about the energy efficiency, wastewater, water treatment, soil treatment and all these things, there's so many uh, millions of opportunities out there in Southeast Asia, in Africa, in different geographies. So Canadian entrepreneurs should be willing to go out and, and deal with these problems because sooner or later these are world problems, they need solutions and Canadians are in a very good position to to sort out all these issues. So this is one, the intercultural communication. Two, be a better communicator. You can be be the best research and development guy, but just be a better communicator. Uh, Three, develop a, a good sales cycle so that you definitely know what customers are asking for, and you can just really uh, find that solution for that. And don't fall in love with your own solution. Peter is saying the, the right thing. You know, you may have a single solution that can really you know fit into your own scenario, but if you cannot really integrate it into an existing uh, infrastructure, then probably you're bound to that. So, uh, you know, these are all the things, little things. They they are not very attractive. I know sometimes. Uh, just people want to be famous and go out and, and have the fancy things. But clean tech is not about having fancy things. Clean tech is about solving the world problems. You have a commercial responsibility and a social responsibility altogether. And it's so nice, you know, it's so fulfilling and, 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 uh, and satisfying. But entrepreneurs should also learn how to communicate and be better communicators in what they do. I think the great example is Peter from our team, He's a great entrepreneur and he's a great communicator.
1: Yeah, it's true, and it's it's important. I mean, on our team at least, that we have really great examples of, of people who have walked the walk, so to speak, as well. Okay, well, thank you very much, Steve, Rich, Barack, and Peter, for taking the time to speak with us.
0: For details on Alacrity Canada's Clean Tech program and our work supporting Canadian Clean Tech companies to expand their businesses in select international markets, visit alacritycleantech.com. Thanks for listening and catch us next time on Cleantech Talks with Alacrity Canada.